Do the Right Thing, your weekly writing prompt podcast. I'm Matthias. And I'm Jarvis. Jarvis and I are two Russian uh, depressed people who are very nihilistic. And our current problem is that we would like to express our emotions, um, but we only know the Cyrillic alphabet and not the Latin alphabet. And as everyone knows, the Cyrillic alphabet can't actually be used to express anything other than nihilism. And while we do have a lot of that, we'd like to start talking about some other stuff. Um, Exactly. So we are issuing a challenge. Each week you sit down. Your goal is to write a complete short story using three of four randomly generated words. Then we come on the podcast. uh, We read a story. We talk about what we learned in reading it. And then we talk about stories sent in by you. Wonderful, very talented, generous um absolutely just just terrific in in general uh stories that 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 you have that you've sent in <laughs> exactly we're simply here to help you do the right thing do a doof media media did this production this is kind of awesome we are on episode 80 i uh, didn't think we would live to see the the day where we have Upwards of 80 hours of content. Uh, yeah, I think we have a significantly more than 80 hours of content, considering, like, at least, like, a third of our episodes are, like, three hours long, because we can't Oh, definitely. Shut I think, up. literally, like, our 10th episode is, like, two and a half hours long. Um, but, you know, we have definitely uh, grown a lot since then. We, we switched up the uh, format a uh, couple of times, trying to give the audience something new to uh, listen to mm-hmm. each week. And we've actually been able to hit under an hour on, I would argue and say most episode that's not that's not it's just factually untrue but we're getting there (laughs) (laughs) we we are on our way and hey maybe one day we'll have like 15 minute episodes wow that wouldn't that be that sounds um a vain glorious idea i i've never used that word before i just i like it it sounds it's it's two wonderful words put together um do you want do we want to talk about I mean, our really lives if you if you just replay this uh at like times 15 speed it'll be about 15 minutes long that's true and you can you can take in so many more podcasts that way um just for so the viewers know i am very sweaty right now and i just want you nice. to sort of if you guys want to just <laughs> smell smell your pits real quick that is kind of the olfactory setting of this recording. So, um, so this is like smelly pits. This is <laughs> smelly pits town. Uh, my AC <laughs> is down. We have two air conditioners, one for downstairs, one for upstairs. So I guess that's just how they work these days. And they're both broken and it's very hot in here. And I don't have the window open because oh. it's hot outside too. And I have a very I'm bright so light sorry. shining in my face because I'm trying to blast my brain with sun rays um, to stave off the the aforementioned uh, nihilism, and mm-hmm. um, as far as I can tell, I mean it's working in the moment. The sweating is not helping, but I guess focusing on more earthly suffering um, mm. can distract from the heavenly suffering. So <laughs> that's very true. Uh, something that I do when it's just way too hot outside is a. Uh, I get on my floor because, because as we know, heat rises, so the floor is the coolest. I get completely naked, completely <laughs> naked. 
and then I try to to push myself as far under my bed as possible. Because for some reason, under every bed, it, it's like a freezer down there. Okay. Well, then, you know, once you snuggle up in there, you just go into hibernation until it's cold again. And Jarvis, you just described what I do when I'm depressed. That's that's just exactly <laughs> like to a T. I literally tried to crawl under my bed the other day because I wanted to be in a in a small enclosed space. Space. Because that yeah. felt uh, safer. Comfortable. Um, yeah. And I couldn't fit in the drawer because my bed has drawers underneath and they were too small for me. Oh. So Damn. I felt I very, I felt very drawer. foolish getting in my, like half inside of my drawer wearing only my drawers um, <laughs> and not fitting and then having to come out and just lay on top of my bed. It was very oh. awkward. I was glad that no yeah. one was around. Yeah, but I, I'm a 21 year old. Uh, I was about to say man, but that's a, that's in question right now. So, but 21 year old adult, trying to crawl under their bed <laughs> well i mean honestly it's a good thing that like the entire world is watching you right now you know with that whole truman show thing going on over there wait what oh you know um i'm i'm getting a sense I, that i need to move on before a crisis impends dude you're you're on cbs right now cb that's all i'm on this is terrible Okay, well, I'm sorry that, that I'm we an H- land I'm the HBO, CW for you. I'm HBO material. Thank you very much. Mm, okay. Also, there's I would, R-rated I content would say... that could only be shown on HBO. Thank you very much. As I said, currently, very sweaty in partially naked a little bit. I mean, but, but that's like FX territory you know i don't i don't know if uh oh do they just like put black <laughs> bars over my chest and 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 lower areas all day because i feel like you see chest is i mean the like chest is a uh, fine uh because it's more than fine my chest is very nice thank you perfect <laughs> i have a delectable but, chest uh, but like definitely yeah they like had to uh, put a huge black square around your uh, lower section thank you I appreciate yeah. that's really that's kind of you, Jarvis, to to hide your the, double penis. Your implication. I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. <laughs> uh, what what about you? What's what's up in your life? Uh, so that's my suffering. Uh, yeah. So my suffering. It's it's been pretty good so far. Um, recently, uh, I had to go back home uh, because of family issues. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, my uh, grandmother is is doing good, but she did have a uh, health scare recently. Oh no! So I had to go and uh, be with my dad's side of of the family. Yikes! Which is interesting. Yeah, I mean, I don't really. Um, sadly, I don't really talk to him too much, uh, mostly because I do feel like I kind of live in my own little bubble here in Denton, um, which you know I'm I'm not able to really reconnect with uh, so many people. But definitely going back there. Uh, made me realize how much I want to reconnect with uh, that side of my family. Hey, that's nice. Uh, specifically, my uh, sister, who I don't really talk to that much. I honestly didn't know you had a sister, Jarvis. Well, yes, yes. Uh, it's kind of ill. Ta- it's kind of ill talked about because we're all in like different parts of the world and we don't talk to each other sure Uh, because the only thing that is connecting us is our father um 
And uh, yeah, so I think, you know, I feel that I am at the point right now where it is important to try your best to maintain the connections you do care about. And I think that, you know, I should at least give this whole brother thing a chance. I think that's a good Uh, idea. And I fully support it. And if you need any, I don't know, moral support rides, um, just shaming or i don't know whatever you need bro Um, (laughs) just ask (laughs) oh well thank you very much yeah um and yeah i mean it'll only be over text for the for the most part you know because we can't really be meeting too many people in in person since this quarantine i I know when i did meet my uh, grandmother uh, i didn't know what to do like should i hug her should i give her a a high five should i stay my distance so I went up and, ugh, dumb me being nervous, I shook my grandmother's hand <laughs> like I was closing a fucking biz- like a business deal. Uh, <laughs> and then the whole family was there, and then they, and then like my uh, sister said, "Really? Are you just gonna shake her her hand?" I was like, "I I, I don't know. I was just I didn't want to get her even more sick." Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it, it it's it's been a very um influential week to Mm -hmm. say the least but i know that my favorite part of every week is doing the right thing which of course the words for (laughs) this week that was smooth jarvis smooth super smooth as butter listen we we've been doing this for 80 episodes and i can promise you from the very first episode we haven't gotten much better but that's (laughs) okay so the words for this week are update Set, forest, and square. Fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. Those those are good words. I can't wait to hear what people wrote. That's all we have to mm-hmm. say about them right now because this format exactly. has changed. Yeah. So <laughs> what, more importantly, what's what's the story we're reading this week, Jarvis? So the story we are going to be reading this week is the lottery ticket by Chekhov. If you have been in any english class whatsoever you have definitely heard of Chekhov. he is a bi- he's a very big uh figure when it comes to literature uh and this is definitely one of his more known uh short stories and the reason why we are um actually reading and talking about this story today is because next week uh we would like all all of those who do submit to try their best at irony A dramatic irony, specifically. Yes. So Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to get into this story, and I think the story does a good enough job of of using a form of dramatic irony in here. Mm -hmm. Um, Going forward, I think, Jarvis, what would be good is if we started having author biographies, but it's too late for this episode. So uh, Chekhov's a Russian, and you might know him from Chekhov's Gun, which is a great movie. Yeah. I, I don't know if it's, there's probably at least like a short film or something named Chekhov's Gun. I'm sure there is. I'm sure some Definitely. film major was clever and did that. But um, I mean, there are there are movies, there are there are countless books. I mean, overall, almost like a good portion of modern writers do use the um, idea of Chekhov's Gun to a T, which is a, a very if you see. In- a, a gun in the first in the first act it must go off in the third basically more mm-hmm. or less yeah which i mean that is a like huge thing because because uh i don't know if i've talked about it too much but i used to be a uh film major 
And within all of my film classes, I, I could count on 17 hands <laughs> how many times we focused on on Chekhov's gun, on making sure that there is nothing extra within the, the story that we are writing that doesn't link back in later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so it's very important uh, to at least keep that in mind if you are using any sort of weapon or uh, object <laughs> that you do draw attention yeah, to. Yeah, not necessarily a weapon, but uh, Well, yeah, any, but, anything. you know, it is statement yeah. even uh, but okay let's that's not even what we're talking about this week that'll, that'll be a subject for, for another time let's uh let's get into it i'll just start reading it right now this is the lottery ticket by anton chekhov ivan dmitri a middle-class man who lived with his family on an income of 1200 a year and was very well satisfied with his lot sat down on the sofa after supper and began reading the newspaper I forgot to look at the newspaper today, his wife said to him as she cleared the table. Look and see whether the list of drawings is there. Yes, it is, said Ivan Dmitri. But hasn't your ticket lapsed? No, I took the interest on Tuesday. What is the number? Series 9499, number 26. All right, we will look. 9499 and 26. Ivan Dmitri had no faith in lottery luck, and would not, as a rule, have consented to look at the lists of winning numbers. But now, as he had nothing else to do, and, the, and as the newspaper was before his eyes, he passed his finger downwards along the column of numbers. And immediately, as though in mockery of his skepticism, no further than the second line from the top, his eye was caught on by the figure 9499. Unable to believe his eyes, he hurriedly dropped the paper on his knees without looking to see the number of the ticket, and just as though someone had given him a douche of cold water, he felt an agreeable chill in the pit of his stomach, tingling and terrible and sweet. Masha, 9499 is there, he said in a hollow voice. His wife looked at his astonished and panic-stricken face and realized that he was not joking. 9499, she asked, turning pale and dropping the folded tablecloth on the table. Yes, yes, it is really here. And the number of the ticket? Oh, yes, there's the number of the ticket, too. But stay, wait, no, I say. Anyway, the number of our series is there. Anyway, you understand. Looking at his wife, Ivan Dmitri gave a broad, senseless smile, like a baby when a bright object is shown it. His wife smiled, too. It was as pleasant to her as to him that he only mentioned the series, and did not try to find out the number of the winning ticket. To torment and tantalize oneself with hopes of possible fortune is so sweet, so thrilling. It is our series, Ivan Dmitri said after a long silence. So there is a probability that we have won. It's only a probability, but there it is. Well now look! Wait a little, we have plenty of time to be disappointed. It's on the second line from the top, so the prize is 75,000. That's not money, but power, capital. And in the minute I shall look at the list and there, 26, eh? I say, what if we really have one? The husband and wife began laughing and staring at one another in silence. The possibility of winning be bewildered them. They could not have said, could not have dreamed what they both needed that 75,000 for, but what they would buy, where they would go. 
they only thought of the figures 9499 and 75,000 and pictured them in their imagination, while somehow they could not think of the happiness itself, which was so possible. Ivan Dmitri, holding the paper in his hand, walked several times from corner to corner, and only when he had recovered from his first impression began dreaming a little. And if we have one, he said, why, it will be a new life. It will be a transformation. The ticket is yours, but if it were mine, I should, first of all, of course, spend 25000 on real property in the shape of an estate, 10000 on immediate expenses, new furnishing, traveling, paying debts, and so on. The other 40000 I would put in the bank and get interest on it. Yes, an estate. That would be nice, said his wife, sitting down and dropping her hands in her lap. "'Somewhere in the Toul or Oriol provinces. "'In the first place, we shouldn't need a summer villa. "'And besides, it would always bring in an income.' "'And pictures came crowding on his imagination, "'each more gracious and poetical than the last. "'And in all these pictures, he saw himself well-fed, "'serene, healthy, felt warm, even here, "'after eating a summer soup, cold as ice. "'He lay on his back on the burning sand close to a stream "'or in the garden under a lime tree. "'It is hot.' His little boy and girl are crawling about near him, digging in the sand or catching ladybugs in the grass. He dozes sweetly, thinking of nothing, and feeling all over that he need not go to the office today, tomorrow, or today, or the day after. Or, tired of lying still, he goes to the hayfield, or to the forest for mushrooms, or watches the peasants catching fish with a net. When the sun sets, he takes a towel and soap and saunters to the bathing shed, where he undresses at his leisure, slowly rubs his bare chest with his hands, and goes into the water. And in the water, near the opaque, soapy circles, little fish flit to and fro, and green water weeds nod their heads. And after bathing, there is tea with cream and milk rolls, in the evening a walk or vent with the neighbors. Yes, it would be nice to buy an estate said his wife, also dreaming, and from her face it was evident that she was enchanted by her thoughts. Ivan Dmitri pictured to himself autumn with its rains, its cold evenings, and its St. Martin summer. At that season he would have to take longer walks about the garden and beside the river, as so as to get thoroughly chilled, and then drink a big glass of vodka and eat a salted mushroom or a soused cucumber, and then drink another... The children would come running from the kitchen garden, bringing a carrot and a, and a radish smelling of fresh earth. And then he would lie stretched full length on the sofa, and in leisurely fashion turn over the pages of some illustrated magazine, or covering his face with it and unbuttoning his waistcoat, giving himself up to slumber. The St. Martin summer is followed by a cloud of gloomy weather. It rains day and night, the bare trees weep, and the wind is damp and cold. The dogs, the horses, the fowls, all are wet, depressed, downcast. There is nowhere to walk. One can't go out for days together, and, wants to, and one has to pace up and down the room, looking despondently at the great window. It is dreary. Ivan Dmitri stopped and looked at his wife. I should go abroad, you know, Masha, he said. And he began thinking how nice it would be in late autumn to go abroad, somewhere to the south, to, to the south of France, to Italy, to India. I should certainly go abroad too, his wife said. But look at the number of the ticket. Wait, wait. He walked about the room and went on thinking. It occurred to him. What if his wife really did go abroad? 
It is pleasant to travel alone, or in the society of light, careless women who live in the present, and not such as think and talk all the journey about nothing but their children, sigh and tremble with dismay over every farthing. Ivan Dmitri imagined his wife in the train with a multitude of parcels, baskets, and bags, and she would be sighing over something, complaining that the train met her headache, that she had spent so much money. At the stations, he, he would continually be having to run for boiling water, bread, and, and butter. She wouldn't have dinner because of its being too dear. She would begrudge me every farthing, he thought, with a glance at his wife. The lottery ticket is hers, not mine. Besides, what is the use of her going abroad? What does she want there? She would shut herself up in the hotel and not let me out of her sight, I know. And for the first time in his life, his mind dwelt on the fact that his wife had grown elderly and plain, and that she was saturated through and through with the smell of cooking, while he was still young, fresh, and healthy, and might as well have got married again. Of course, all that is silly nonsense, he thought, but why should she go abroad? What would she make of it? And yet she would go, of course. I can fancy, in reality, it is all one to her. Whether it is Naples or Klin, she would only be in my way. I would, I should be dependent on her. I can fancy how, like a regular woman, she will lock the money up as soon as she gets it. She will look after her relations and grudge me every farthing. Ivan Dmitri thought of her relations. All those wretched brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles would come crawling about as soon as they heard of the winning ticket, would begin whining like beggars and fawning upon them with oily, hypocritical smiles. Wretched, detestable people. If they were given anything, they would ask for more, while if they were refused, they would swear at them, slander them, and wish them every kind of misfortune. Ivan Dmitri remembered his own relations, and their faces, at which he had looked impartially in the past, stuck him, struck him now as repulsive and hateful. They are such reptiles, he thought. And his wife's face, too, struck him as repulsive and hateful. Anger surged up in his heart against her, and he thought malignantly, She knows nothing about money, and so she is stingy. If she wanted, she would give me a hundred rubles and put the rest under lock and key. And he looked at his wife, not with a smile now, but with hatred. She glanced at him, too, and also with hatred and anger. She had her own daydreams, her own plans, her own reflections. She understood perfectly what her husband's dreams were. She knew who would be the first to try and grab her winnings. It's very nice making daydreams at other people's expense, is what her eyes expressed. No, don't you dare. Her husband understood her look. Hatred began stirring again in his breast, and in order to annoy his wife, he glanced quickly, despite her, at the fourth page on the newspaper, and read out triumphantly, Series 9499, number 46, not 26. Hatred and hope disappeared both at once, and it began immediately to seem to Ivan, Dmitri, and his wife that their rooms were dark and small and low-pitched, that the supper they had been eating was not doing them good but lying heavy on their stomachs, that the evenings were long and wearisome. "'What the devil's the meaning of it?' said Dmitri, beginning to be ill-humored. "'Wherever one steps, there are bits of paper under one's feet, crumbs, husks. The rooms are never swept. One is simply forced to go out. Damnation, take my soul entirely. I shall go and hang myself on the first aspen tree!' Okay, wow, so, wonderful so story, that, oh, Matthias. I really, I really like the way that you read it. Thank you for for coming on to the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, Mr. Mason. <laughs> um, 
Yes. So <laughs> on the story, uh, yeah, I I think this is of course a perfect portrayal of this dramatic irony. I mean, uh, Chekhov does a amazing job at kind of setting the the stage for these characters in in the beginning. And I think my favorite thing about this story is that the trajectory of it doesn't go exactly where we think it's going to go. Instead of it being focused on this lottery in itself, this lottery is used as a way to get a deeper understanding of these two characters and their connection to each other and and their families. Uh, which I thought was was like really really well done, and that's p- pretty much the main reason why I personally wanted to uh, talk about this story this week. Yeah, so yeah, I think it's just, it's really emblematic of um, how to how dramatic irony can be used to uh, make a point. Like it, the, the entire um, function of the story is through that dramatic irony. So, so just to define, mm-hmm. so, um, dramatic irony is, is irony when used in, in text, which is basically when you, the reader knows more than the characters and they're doing something ironic. Um, if they, that they like, they wouldn't do that if they had the, uh, greater knowledge that we do. And there's a lot of different mm-hmm. forms this takes place in this story. Um, when the lottery ticket is, um, first uh being shown to us we are well aware that they don't actually know whether they they won the lottery or not and so as they mm-hmm. continue down and start fantasizing about all these things and before getting pissed at each other over money that they don't even have right we are well aware that this is actually really a dumb idea we can we can tell just by the way that thing the way that this is written that uh they've probably not won the lottery or it's certainly not going <laughs> to turn out the, the way that they they think it will um, even mm, though we don't know definitely. that for sure, for for it to be like the most textbook case of dramatic irony, it, there would be maybe a narrative aside of like actually they hadn't won, but he continued on, you know, thinking regardless. But just the fact that it's implied is enough for it to to have that function. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I think like some of the best parts of this story is when uh, the main character Ivan is like walking off and he's just fantasizing about these these amazing life that that he could possibly live and how it doesn't include his wife uh <laughs> which, which is which her lottery very, ticket too exactly but but he is already thinking oh what am i going to do with this money i'm going to invest i'm going to see the world i'm going to do this this and this and then there was this very specific moment when his wife starts to also fantasize it seems like he just looks at her with so much dis disdain and he starts saying like ah she's stingy she won't use it for for the right reasons and then knowing her her family they're all going to come out out of the woodworks and, and start asking for money and i mean these moments really show you how pessimistic this main character is and it also kind of shows you why they probably shouldn't win the lottery because if they did get this money, well, then it would just open up the gates of of hell. They're probably going to get de- divorced, and then they're going to have to start paying out money to a whole bunch of different people, and it's not going to end up, and it's not going to end up well for them if they did get this money. But the irony of it is that they don't even know if they are actually going to get this money, but they're already at each other's throats about this money. 
Right, right. I, I think so. So another angle that dramatic irony works through is not just through like actual like plot knowledge, right? Um, it, I mean, a lot of ways that dramatic irony works is also just off of like tropes, right? If we're aware of a trope and we kind of already know how something's, something's going to turn out, right? If if some if uh you know the group splits off and uh one one character goes off alone, well, you know there's monster around. You kind of know that they're going to die, and that's a mm-hmm. different kind of dramatic irony. But the other kind is uh, more with the uh, character flaws, right? And, and in this one. Um, you know, when we become aware of a flaw that the characters are not, which here it's kind of the like blissful ignorance of, um, the main character who like continuously chooses to not look at the ticket just so that he can continue fantasizing. Um, and that's kind of what does them in at the end, which is like, if you had just looked, you wouldn't have gotten your hopes up so high and wouldn't have gotten so pissed off and you wouldn't have gotten so hurt, but you chose Mm -hmm. to anyway. Exactly. Uh, and also, speaking on the ending of of this story, when they do realize that uh, the number is 49 instead of 26, is that there is this really great line where in that moment, uh, both hope and hate uh, fall from from both the husband and and wife to where they they were filled with this hope but also hate for the other but as soon as they realize oh nothing is going to to change they both quickly go back to the status quo which really says a lot as to i guess how these types of of people would really react how they are quote-unquote comfortable in their own life but they're always hoping for for better but when they're faced with this disappointment it doesn't really rattle them too much well i feel like it does it does rattle them a bit like the the um husband afterwards he like yells out a bunch of stuff and says like the the house is dirty the, there's always pieces of paper on the floor and then he he storms out and says i'm gonna go hang myself because <laughs> well um, you see no no go ahead well, well, the the before at the very beginning, it really does say that they are very comfortable. They are middle class, and they're 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 perfectly happy where they are. Um, very mm-hmm. very telly just tells you straight out that like they're happy, so that yes. when they get to the end, and we show them what this uh, this excitement for this false wealth has done to them, um, the, the dichotomy. Well, maybe it was just within my reading, right? But I got this sense that they're arguments and kind of how the the end of the story played out isn't uncommon and and it does seem like they they are happy where they are but it's not the most stable relationship it's not completely happy and of course they like do have have these gripes so so yeah i mean i just get a very strong sense that this kind I get a very strong sense that them being at odds isn't outside of their normal and how as soon as they realize that they're not going to to be rich, uh, they are they are, of course, mad about it, but it's not going to change them in in the long run. How this was just a stepping stone in a path that they're already walking. It uh, kind of felt to me how this is one moment of their entire lives that won't change it for the better or worse but it's a moment that is a perfect in to who these characters really are in that moment yeah they, that, that this is just kind of the 
it, this reveals them to who they they kind of truly are after being sort of shaken a little bit out of their their normal with this this hope which is that they are both greedy bastards exactly um, which which to me is very funny i mean i know that this isn't a comedy per per se but i found i found a lot of humor uh when you take it all as a whole how just the idea of a money made them so quick to want to just be at yeah. each other's yeah. neck only to <laughs> go back to how it was so i was laughing by by the very end but mm-hmm. i just find things cosmically funny yeah no no i think this is definitely a a sort of i mean not like extremely dark but darkly comic where it's it's based on the misery of others so uh to get to the more pointed aspect of this which is how you can use it um Mm -hmm. uh, so for 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 next week which we well i guess should we just save that the challenge bit where we talk about the challenge bit at the end with it with the words Um, as well or should i say here i'm not entirely sure because we did just we finish should, talking about it. We should say the challenge bit now so that we can kind of okay. round out this sure. uh, uh, this convo and, and like give them tips. Uh, and then we just mention it again at the end. Sounds great. Okay, so uh, we uh, so so for, for next week, so after you get the words, um, maybe consider uh, doing this extra challenge of uh, taking extra care to use dramatic irony in your story. This is a, it's a very common tool. In fact, you're, you were probably likely to use it already, even without us telling you, but, um, mm-hmm. specifically, you know, maybe making the story more about that. So convey something to your reader, consider, uh, conveying some information to the reader, either through implication or even just stating it outright, um, that the, uh, character doesn't know and is kind of acting, um, without that information in a way that's gonna that's not gonna make it not as good for them right um Mm -hmm. you know and this can go a lot of different directions you know it could be that they are um something actually very good is about to happen but they don't know it and so they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot because they they don't know about that right and and there's a lot of ways to to convey that you can just very if you're conveying like in in Chekhov's story here that they are intentionally not looking at the information we can basically guess that they are probably wrong, right? So if a character is like um, being is is about to be handed a, a test grade, right, and they are already acting in misery over it, and they're already like like picking a fight with a teacher or something, mm-hmm. or they're hiding it, or they just threw it away, or whatever, and you intentionally point out like once or twice or or three times if you can in different ways, obviously, that they are intentionally not looking at the thing then we can guess that, oh, they were probably, there's some dramatic irony going to go on here. Um, exactly, yeah. Or if otherwise you convey um, a character flaw that they're not aware of, you know, maybe they always, um, you know, return to someone that they, that they shouldn't. Maybe they always are too trusting, you know, whatever. Uh, if you can convey that and then you show them using that flaw, um, it, so it's kind of so long as the audience is yelling at the character, Hey, no, don't do the thing that you're doing. It's going to end bad. It's usually falls within dramatic irony. Exactly. And, and I think one of the most important things when it comes to creating your own irony within your story is to make sure that it is believable and even expected when it does kind of connect mm-hmm. at, at the very end. Like, 
irony is not having a character who does have flaws but they don't know they're on flaws and then at the very end they get stomped on by a monster that is not irony that's just a a a ending but the ending of whatever story you do end up creating should be used in a sense to become a natural end to the arc of irony that you are building Mm -hmm. uh in a sense uh as you said uh, a student could could be throwing away their their own paper and and getting mad at the teacher without even knowing that they actually did do do good on it and then that is where the and, and then the irony of it is is when the main character does find out that they did do good mm-hmm. um so yeah just you know i would I would caution you to be very careful on how you do construct it because when it comes to irony uh you can use it in, in any piece that you do end up writing. And uh, it is a very good tool to to use when you're trying to get deeper understanding of a given character. Um, so yeah, I would, I would say just be very cautious with it, but also definitely go, go for it and try something out outside of your wheelhouse to kind of hone in on this very crucial craft. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering in um, Odysseus's story with the Cyclops, right? When at the yes. end there, where it's his hubris that causes, he, he yells at um, uh, Polyphemus while, while they're getting away. And if he just had stayed mm-hmm. quiet, they would have gotten away. But because he's yelling, uh, Polyphemus is able to throw a rock that like sinks their boat. Right. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think. Like, did it, does that count as dramatic irony because it's it's the hubris, or is that more of a? Well, okay, so I definitely get where you're going on because in my mind, at at first, I was thinking, oh yeah, that is definitely irony. But the issue is that never in the never previously within that text, I don't think did his hubris ever be talked about in a negative way i think i think it, it does but maybe not necessarily in that section so if you had been reading or like the greater story or a version or a section of that story or a version of that story that was like beware odysseus you're very you know you're uh if it says in the prophetic way your hubris you know uh is going to lead to your doom right your um your, the, the the way that you think so so much of yourself is going to lead to your doom right and then he goes and 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 then that happens. You're like, oh yeah, okay, Odysseus, come on. We know that you shouldn't be doing this. You but know. then again, he he's never led to his doom. Well, uh, he sort of <laughs> is. It doesn't. Um, I, actually, I Odysseus like is one in, of the few that kind of gets a sections. good ending after you know twenty years of being at sea. That is, yeah. But then, as soon as he did make it back home, uh, everything was good. Yeah. Well, well, he, he kind of had to kill a bunch of suitors, and and then there's yeah. also another version of uh of the story later on, which has to do with Circe, and Circe has a kid with him, right? It's sort mm-hmm. of like a fanfic of of the Odyssey. It's not in the Odyssey. It's something else. And then uh, her son goes and visits him, and then Odysseus has kind of gone crazy a little bit, and her son has to kill him. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't know all it's that. It's big sad. You should read Circe uh, by Mad- Madeline Miller. It's a really good uh, novelization of uh, the myth of Circe. It's really well done. That's my plug. Okay. I will definitely try it out. But the second plug I think, at the end of the But podcast. I think for that example, I would say that it is irony, but um, I do feel that it's not, I guess, fully swung through in a sense. Um 
But I don't know. I don't know. There, there's a lot when it comes to the Odyssey that you could really go into. Yeah. Because um, it is what. Yeah. Maybe we should read the, the Odyssey epic. on on this instead. Yeah, maybe in sections. <laughs> Which came first, the Odyssey or the Iliad? Which was was the Iliad a prequel? Do you think? Or is mm, the Odyssey just I'm a pretty sequel? sure? Oh, I'm pretty sure the Iliad. Well, the Iliad takes place first chronologically, but was it written? Yeah, it first? does. Was but it was spoken it written first? first? Or, um, or was was one spoken first, but it was written second? Because all right, so it's not the so the Iliad came out in two thousand four. That's true. Um, and the Odyssey. It's sort of a tie-in with uh, Rick Riordan's Percy Jackson Olympian series. Ooh, but you see, the Odyssey came out in 2000 so it is a prequel uh, i see i see i see i see i see yeah, i see yeah. i see i see i see yeah and but the Which, I mean, aeneid came out in between so this is kind of like a sequel with like a double prequel kind of thing a sequel with a double prequel okay that's right like um okay <laughs> let's just let's let's move on to the listener story section of course so Listener submit story section. You already know what to do. We've been doing this for eighty episodes, and we say the and exact you listen same to every thing. single episode, haven't you? Yeah, all I know of you them, have all eighty hours you. of content. Actually, yeah. has anyone actually done that? That's 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 ludicrous. I, I really hope Honestly, no one has. I would, I would really like. I haven't to listened know. to every single episode. I would say at most I've listened to half. Well, I mean, okay. Would you count? Yeah, if you're on the episode, does that count as? as- I think I think editing episodes counts. I don't okay. think just speaking it counts as listening because that's cheating. Yeah. So I've list so I've listened to seventy five per percent of every episode of uh, Do the Right Thing, and even I'm tired of us. Oh yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Take but, a break, you know. But yeah, but do you know do what? the right thing, even if you're not listening to us. Seriously, mm, of course, yeah. It's but good for um. You. We are about to talk about all of these wonderful stories. So, if you haven't went out and if you haven't read them, I'll wait till after we announce them and then pause, go read them, and then come back so you're not spoiled on them. That's right. There's some good stories this week, so please do. Exactly. So the I stories mean, there, there we always will be is, re- but that I just I was just taking a particular note this time, I guess. All the stories are yeah. always good. <laughs> And the stories we are going to be reading this week are by Sithril, Ace of Sword, Nick Dew, Mora Didamale, and Eleanor Hemsworth. That's right. And all right. And the first one up is Eleanor Hemsworth with Sarah La Coolera. Good enough. Uh, <laughs> good enough. <laughs> so sorry, I, I took seven years of French. <laughs> And and again, this is this is Spanish, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately, that's the correct term. Um, okay, so so actually, I don't know exactly how to uh, approach this, Jarvis, because this is actually um, sort of a sort of a tie-in to a story that I wrote a while ago. Actually, I really um, yeah. So this is this is my friend Elliot, um, uh, who is a, a wonderful game dev, and I'm actually gonna plug one of her things at the end of this this podcast sorry elliot you didn't have any choice in the matter this is happening sorry um (laughs) so this story is actually a reference to uh the story i wrote for the do the pack thing episode number number 48 
which mm, was about yeah. the uh, the trans girl who meets the the fairy, right? And there's the brother who's a dickhead with a goblin familiar. It was, mm-hmm. it was a fanfic of Pact because uh, <laughs> that, that was that was what the, the episode was. Um, and uh, so I guess she really liked it, or or it resonated something with her, or maybe she just it was one of the it, do the right thing story that um, it, one of the earlier episodes that she'd listened to. Um, and she uh, she wrote this sort of in response to it, I guess. Um, and it, yeah, it's really, really sweet. So um, it, it's written in a very, very poetic way um, mm-hmm. where uh, there's sort of more or less three characters. There is uh, in, in a force, there's the main character, the narrative character. There is this woman that is interacting with the main character a lot. And there is this other character, the uh, second person who... Um, the, the, the two of them, the main character and the second person, so you and, and I basically, uh, walk together in the forest where you doesn't take the path exactly, um, comes off the the path and, and comes back, uh, but still following along, still going along with the, the same journey. Um, and, um, the main character sees that, uh, you is, uh, really happy and, um, more comfortable in their own skin than, uh, the eye ever was, um, and uh, the eye sort of uh, encounters this this woman a couple times, um, and uh, hands uh, this woman um, uh, his name, and uh, has the name taken away. But it's it's a good thing, and he, or the, he, the eye sort of uh, fades and becomes less important, and it just becomes the woman and the you together walking, and. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a, it, it's really hard to communicate exactly a, a lot of the story because it's it's very beautiful it's very poetically written um in a way that doesn't make a lot of like narrative you know step by step sense but when you take it in mm-hmm. as a whole and 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 carry across the feelings um you can follow along and um so so the more the the little more literal meaning of the story is basically that uh the main character is sort of the the um male aspects of this main character um who's sort of going away as um the the woman right the other half of the main character sort of uh, well transitions and becomes a more major part of their self and the same is going on with the you and um but in a different way a way that parallels it and maybe is happier but also in a different sort of path um and just another person another friend that this um this person has so um yeah, it's a really beautiful story. I I really really liked it. Yeah, uh, I think for me something that really took uh, took the cake here is this are these poetic prose. I mean, it just reads so well, uh, and it's this nice mix between like a lot of the sentimentality of a poem and narration, uh, and I really do like a lot of the repetition when it comes to beginning some of these standalone. Uh, paragraphs with with you and it definitely like brings us deeper into the uh to the story overall and i think it just does a really great job at giving us enough sensory d details to kind of to kind of clue us in as to where we are and uh, what is happening uh and yeah i just think that a lot of the emotions that are being expressed within this story really really hit um, and I think it's just a really well-crafted piece that I would love to uh, see more from. So really great job. 
Yeah, it's um, it's really beautiful, and it seems like whoever, um, uh, the story is really about because it seems like a very very personal story. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it seems like they have a really uh strong like connection, and it's it's yeah, it's just really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great controlled language, uh, mm-hmm. but fantastic job. And uh, up next is by Ace with Sword with a sigh. So, uh, this story, um, has, um, so, uh, this story, we start off with, uh, our, our main character. This is following along with that minor character, um, uh, first person perspective where, uh, our main character is sort of witness to this, uh, this prisoner, this person that they just sort of rescued from, um, this basically bloodbath, um, there's sort of backstory of, of how they went on this, this sort of mission to extract this person. They don't, they don't know who he is, but when they get there, um, all of the people who had had him captured are dead, even though he's still in the prison. We don't know at all what has happened because he's not like escaped and he doesn't look like he's that much, but also everyone is dead. Um, <laughs> but they, they, they get him back and, and they're, they're going through him and it's sort of revealed that, um, He's the the son of uh, the mafia that the, our main character is a part of, and we can really sort of get the like confused and sort of fearful place that our our perspective is in. Um, and uh, it, the 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 it, it, by the end, basically, there's a sort of a mission being handed to this this mystery son of the mafia boss, son of the boss, uh, to kill this uh, detective that has been uh, a problem for for the mafia. And it seems like he's gonna just do it kind of nonchalantly, and, and finds the 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 challenge in, interesting, and uh, so we're very intrigued here. We're we're very uh, concerned, and it's definitely this main character <laughs> is uh, building up this mythos mythos of this um, this uh, son of the of the boss. Um. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, um. Yeah. I I really dig this this story. I mean, I think we are greatly thrown into this world and we quickly kind of get our bearings with these uh characters and i do like a lot of the tone that is being built here it's 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 a little darker and it feels a little bit slower and it almost to me harkens to a lot of the tones that you would get from a typical noir uh, which i really like i mean that's my favorite genre as of right now um, and yeah, overall, I just really like a lot of the back and forth dialogue going on here and the description, uh, and the story leave, and the story leaves us in a really nice place where, uh, within that, that file, uh, there is a note that says, uh, I need him de- I, I need him destroyed, please, which, uh, is definitely telling of, uh, what might, uh, what might come after. Um, so yeah, I, I just really like it. I think it's written really well and us, there is some really great world building being done here. So really great job. I think it does a really good job of using that, um, first person minor character perspective that one, Mm -hmm. um, sort of has a more distant perspective on this character while also getting us pretty intrigued in them and, um, telling us a lot about them without actually like telling us the details. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's a really well executed um, uh, example of this challenge. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So fantastic job. And up next is Nick to you with Paragons. 
So this is another one of those um, actually living in a uh, superhero world would be horrible kind of story. Yes. So <laughs> our, our main character here has decided to go um, to some some food vendors today and has gone to a square to, to get some food. There's been some uh, bad things in the city and so they were a little worried, but um, it, this is a good day. Nothing bad had happened yet. There was nothing on fire. There hadn't been any shootings yet. Um, the, dairy, the air was actually pretty, pretty good. So uh, really establishing off the bat that this is not a uh, safe place to live in. So, uh, but before he can get his food, um, out come, there's, there's a rumble, rumbling and then out comes a drill right out of the floor, which just destroys a person <laughs> blown away <laughs> by this, this drill that just came out of the ground. It's the um, underminer. Which is the, the underminer or otherwise known, uh, the mole maester, which is a <laughs> terrible, terrible name. And so um, our, our, our main character is, is trapped along with a lot of other civilians inside the sort of arena made out of um, stones. Um, they, they boost this high schooler, which is hopefully able to get away. Um, which is a moment, moment of humanity for, for them, of, of them just trying to survive. But uh, so uh, this mole maester, which has dialogue exactly like out of any you know comic um, or, or old cartoon... Uh, mm-hmm. shows up before these other two uh, superheroes, the Captain, uh, Captain Omega and Acrobat. <laughs> and uh, they, you know, they sound ridiculous. They, they sound so like on script. All of their dialogue uh, has uh, capitalized first letters, um, which is very evocative of, of comic um, dialogue, which is all written in all caps. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, if it was all caps, it would read differently. So that makes sense. Um and uh, so, but uh, the the civilians are just kind of talking amongst themselves about how they are super scared. You know, one person just got murdered, another person uh, might have gotten crushed in in the the boulders, basically. Um, as uh, this sort of ridiculous things g- goes on in the background, and um, finally, eventually, the the, the fight is over, um, and um, the superheroes say, "You've been saved, citizens," basically, and someone yells, "Fuck you!" <laughs> back because. You know, people are people are dead, and uh, they're glad to survive. But um, it it really paints this picture of uh, these superheroes that are incredibly out of touch of reality, with for some reason or another. Maybe they're not even human. That kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. But I uh, really like this story. Uh, for me, it reminds me a lot of um, the boys and uh, just the entire I idea of how living in a world with superheroes is not a super world it's actually a lot worse than the world that we live in right now um but i think this story does a really good job as to leading us into that how in the beginning they are setting up that even though it seems like a very nice day that something could happen at any given moment so then as soon as it does happen uh, you are reading deeper in into a lot of things that that are going on. Uh, I know one moment that like really hit me is when uh, Captain o- Omega picked up, I think a a bus or a truck filled uh, with yeah, people. Yeah, food truck with uh, people still inside of it. Yep. Yeah, and then just threw it at the um, mole master, or and and like I was like, oh my god, no, no superhero would do that. But in a superhero world, that would definitely happen. Yes, I uh, really think that this is a nice take on uh, the idea of the uh, false superhero world. 
Uh, and I do like how much it did focus on the people and not the heroes and how how much they are kind of living in fear that at any moment you can be food for a drill or, or get crushed by uh, anything when you're close to this sort of superhero battle. So yeah, I just think it's a really great world world building on top of pretty pretty solid prose. Uh, mm-hmm. And overall, I, I really, really liked it. So fantastic job. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And if if y'all haven't seen The Boys, all of season one and two is on Amazon Prime. And I would recommend that to everyone until the day I die. It's a fantastic show. Please and, please go and watch it. And if you like The Boys, if you like uh, serious superhero takes, uh, there's this web serial worm um, that's uh, it's mm. really easy to read and it's online and I will, do, I will promote it until the day I die. Mm. So we're at odds here, huh? Is it worm? Mm-hmm. We are is crossing it, Is it The sword. Boys? I, it, we are crossing swords. Dun, mm. dun. Actually, that's crossing fields. Dun, Sorry. Dun, it's a good song. Dun, dun, uh, um, yeah, dun, if you guys want to hear us dun, do another dun, take of that, dun, a good dun, place dun, to listen dun, to that dun, dun. is um, on the bonus episode on Magica, Magica Magica, which um, this, the next one's coming out uh, later later this month, at the end of the month, mm-hmm. actually. That's Wednesday you of the month. You know what? We should just say fuck it and review Sword Art Online. Honestly, we could do that. It's. Mm-hmm. Mo- I will just just be insulting it the whole time. I do not like that show. Well, no, no. See, that is fine because I can be the devil's advocate. Uh, you should because though. I. I will be so I, mad at you. No, but no. Listen, listen. That show has a great nostalgia for me, and you cannot tell me that there aren't great moments in okay, that first there's, season. Okay, there's some... It, the first half of the first season, there's some good moments, I'll admit, but it's just taken as a whole. It's not yeah. good. And also, anyway, we, are, we are not going to talk about the fairy second half. We're going to f- forget about all that. And yeah, that it's incest. so weird how anime does that. I don't get it. Attack on Titan's the same way. It's so mm-hmm. it's strange. It's very... But, anyway... Anyway, if you want us to talk about it more, just let us know if you would willingly listen to a podcast about sword art. Just ranting on it, basically. Yes, for two hours. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Uh, yeah. Um. Um, up next is Sithril with Hidden Behind Misty Eyes. Um, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm still <laughs> reeling from that. Um. So this is this is a different story than than Sithril has has written in a in a in a bit. So we are in the perspective of a young, um, uh, uh, eight year old girl who is a um, enslaved uh, servant to um, these sort of pre medieval society. Is sort of how I'm picturing it. I'm picturing it sort of um, at the very least not with the castles and stuff. Maybe more just like a, a palaces built in the desert. Anyway, I'm spending too much time on this, but. Um, <laughs> So she is uh, cleaning these dishes, and and they, um, and and she's uh, listening to the the foreign guards that sort of have like taken over this area, and they don't think that she knows the language, but she does, and she's been listening in, and she's pretty smart, um, and she doesn't like the king, she doesn't like anybody here except for Amo, who is the sort of nice, um, you know, uh, leader servant woman, um, who who's kind to her. And, um, so she goes, uh, back to, uh, the, the kitchen and there's sort of these like rules that she has to follow that she doesn't quite understand that she's constantly weighing, like whether she can risk not following the rule or, or following the rule, uh, depending on like who's going to punish her, right? Amo might, 
Um, and I actually don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct. Sorry. I know, I know you wrote some stuff about that Sithril. Um, and, uh, but she is, um, yeah, she just has to be careful. And, uh, so Amo shows up and it's, it is clear that she's like kind to her, which is nice. Um, but they go to the dining hall and they're preparing for a feast and we get some more sort of like backstory where she's, she's argued at one point with, uh, the King's son and got in big trouble for it. Uh, but he's an <laughs> idiot, so he deserved it. And it's, it's very, you know, uh, heartfelt, like a childish sort of perspective that, you know, that you, you, you just kind of tell the truth. You're still correct. Even if there's reasons why you're not allowed to be, um, and then um, the the dinner finally comes around and we sort of get some uh, perspectives on uh, these sea peoples had raided the village and, and that's how they got her. They didn't take her family. Don't know what happened to her family. Um, but um, there's clearly some like intrigue going on um, and she doesn't she doesn't like any of them for it. Um, and she's hoping that she gets to see her family one day. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah, uh, something I really liked about this story is uh how much this main character's hate for uh, this kingdom's people and the king and just her entire situation is really is really palpable and it definitely pushes the um, story forward and it and it makes you question exactly like since they do have so much hate what are they gonna do with it because there, there has to be that action that, that they do act upon uh, so yeah overall I just really love the um, just i really love how this story starts in a sense to it's bringing you into this new world that you aren't really that you are from that you are familiar with but it's not the exact same it has its uh, own take on it and i really did like how we took a slower approach to kind of leading in to the um dinner leading into the people leading into the kingdom and how we're slowly being taken on this journey as we find out more and more about this this world. And I thought it was it was really well placed and uh, really well done. And yeah, definitely after reading this, uh, it does rise a, a couple of questions on what is going to come next. I mean, they this main character has this sort of hatred for this kingdom. And they're also wishing that they could be with their mother and father. So... Yeah, it just raises a, a lot of questions on where this story is going to go next, which I would be very uh, eager to uh, see that. So fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I really like how it eases us into the the, the area, as you said. I, I really like this perspective. I really like the like, like very natural and um, character-focused like opinions that her character has. You know, on Amo, yeah, it seems very... Yeah, it makes sense for her to like this like one person to not like uh, especially to not like the son of the king that kind of thing that I mm-hmm. I really enjoy. Um, one thing is that I think she is um, she doesn't quite sound eight years old. She sounds a bit older yeah. um, to me. Um, I I was, I was picturing her as I like was getting 16. like fourteen vibes. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, but uh, the moment where she was arguing with the the son, I think, was a good childish moment, and I I like that. Um, and honestly, I I, I think if there was some um signal in the beginning about how young she was i think i would have bought it and i think it probably would have been fine um so i think probably just like uh i don't want to say dumbing down because kids are intelligent but maybe like simplifying some of the language and some of the Mm -hmm. sentiments um might have been the the way to go to keep her eight years old but um that's a pretty minor thing and i i i think uh overall i think it's a really nice um dip into that perspective i really enjoyed it um to be in a a servant's perspective and and Mm -hmm. 
her view of the whole society here. Definitely. So fantastic job. And uh, our final story for this week, aw, <laughs> is, is by Maura Didamail. Also known with, as uh, Matt Freeman. Also known. With um, sharp as ever, razor fine, seeing faster than light. What Which I think. Great title. I think it's also just the, like, actually, first is that line? the title or is it the first line? It might be both. I don't see, know. It fits as the first see, line. I don't know. Yeah. So, well, uh, so speaking of, I don't know, this story is a little bit hard to describe. Yeah. Um, it's hard, <laughs> yes, well, it it's hard to summarize. It's easier to describe. So it's this uh, series of descriptions. And you know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to cheat a little bit and just start off with uh, Matt's comment who said mm-hmm. uh, that he wanted to see if he could write what a single moment in time actually feels like. And it's um, a very violent thing. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely sure if this is all poetic and all metaphor or if some of it is literally describing a certain moment because um, yeah. there's a lot of focus on white water um, and, and rocks. So I'm picturing like someone, you know, currently like whitewater rafting. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is just one single moment of that um, because it, it goes from that into metaphor talking about a, a blade that is rust spotted in a forest and how it's... Um, flicker it has a flicker fine edge which is just wonderful language in here just just brilliant language there's there's so many wonderful things to hear there's some words that i don't know i've never read them in other places before but i really enjoyed the word hawk high um Mm -hmm. as a description of something being very uh high in the air but not just that it's also got other connotations of maybe like seeing clearly like a hawk at least that's what it is in my my um head but they're yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think it is describing whitewater rafting because um, later on the, the the imagery of the water and the rocks comes back. Uh, the rocks are there, the water is there, everything in its place. Confusion is harmony. Hawk high and soaring, seeing everything below smooth and sharp as the edge between life and death. Um, and uh, there's an- another line here near the end. Uh, Still coming just as fast now. Lifetimes per instant. Universes dying in each speck of froth. Um. Mm. I don't want to, I would keep reading, but I I think it's absolutely worth reading um, without like being prepped too much. I think the ending, it feels very, I think I've heard some, some uh, really great um, rap uh, that actually sounds kind of like this, (laughs) Uh, the the ending. I know that's possibly weird comparison considering this doesn't rhyme, but it feels like it. Uh, Specifically, um, um, Aesop rocks, uh, uh, I'm shrunk sounds a bit like the ending mm. here to me okay. i don't know if you know that one i i think i get what you're saying yeah yeah um anyway <laughs> uh but yeah this is a very poetic um piece um yeah describing that that at single moment and how thin it is i i really like the idea of lifetimes per instant because sometimes it really does feel that where um especially if you're running on adrenaline like a second is an entire lifetime of of decision making of of taking in um and when you view it in memory it you can see the whole thing at once and so it feels smaller but it really is forever now yeah. is forever definitely so this this story is so ripe in description i mean i think i have absolutely fall, fallen in in love with this prose and a lot of the word choicing i mean i could read a whole novel filled with just this style of a writing which i really loved i mean i I loved how it 
toes the the line between metaphorical and abstract and literal to where even though certain lines can be taken as either one of those it it does paint a very clear picture as to what is actually happening here uh and i think honestly uh it, more adidamel did a perfect job at capturing this one moment uh it it uh it definitely went from a very close up shot uh to the uh to the white water rafting and it feels like the camera just slowly pulled back as we see more and more different uh different elements to to this scene and i think it was just written so so well and um also i i do kind of like its length how we are kind mm-hmm. of reading this very specific style of um, writing, but it doesn't overstay its its welcome. It it kind of ends and it begins at the exact right moments that that it is supposed to, to where after you read it, you are just left with with that feeling, with the feeling of this moment. And I think it's yeah, it's a crowning uh, achievement of uh, definitely what you can do with uh, de script. And so I so I really loved it. And I would recommend anyone and uh, everyone to come in and uh, read this story. It's a worthy read. Yeah. So, um, I, so for a little critique, I, I think as Nick to you says in this, there's a little. I, I think it gets a little bit too abstract, where we um, sort of disconnect from. I was since I was unsure of what the like actual moment was. Mm-hmm. I think just spending maybe like another paragraph in describing the moment and really focusing on like the feelings of like the the like physical description of that moment before going into the more abstract parts talking about how um you know every moment is a is a lifetime like i i think the story focuses a lot on that sensation Mm -hmm. and i think that is really well executed and i feel like just a little bit more attention to like the the physical description um it might have served it a little bit well to ground it before going abstract. Um, mm-hmm. But, I mean, either way, it was a really, really enjoyable read. I I, I just feel that it would have been... Um, it would have conveyed... I, I think there's feelings in the idea of whitewater rafting and every moment of that that can be brought out. Like the peril of every second, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, what, some other feeling in there, I think, could have been brought out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, the most important part about when you do write in the abstract is finding that balance between that and something that the audience can really hold hold on to, something that's in the literal. Right, because um, it's not really like it's not about the you know the whitewater rafting, right? There's no reason like there doesn't need to be a character here. There doesn't need to be you know any mm-hmm. sort of plot or anything like that. No, that's <laughs> that's entirely superfluous, and that's that's why that's not in here. Um, but just, uh, yeah, having something to ground it from the from the abstract. So, like when we talk about the metaphorical um, rusted blade in the forest, that we know that's entirely metaphor and that it is reflecting on something that is physical. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But either way, fantastic job. Mm-hmm. Um, and sadly, those are all of the stories for this week of Do the Right Thing. But we do want to say thank you to everyone who did submit a story. So, thank you very much to No Goodbye. Thank you to Eleanor Hemsworth. Thank you, Ace of Sword. Thank you, Nick to you. Thank you, Sithro. Thank you, Morgan Mail. 
Thank you, Calanero985. And thank you, Ghost Pac-Man 4. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for writing in this week. And of course, we want to say thank you to everyone who did leave two or more comments. Commenting on your story and someone else's story not only helps you uh, figure out what did and didn't work within your own story, but you are providing someone else with very good feedback that can, in turn, help them uh, get better at their writing. So thank you very much to Sithril, Ace of Sword. And Nick, to you, thank you so much for leaving two Y'all were fantastic. Uh, before we roll out, I, I wanted to do a plug on behalf of Elliot, uh, my, my friend, not, not um, well, not our Australian friend uh, on the Pale Reflections, but uh, Elliot uh, Harriman, who has uh, just released a, a video game. And uh, so she wrote the, one of the stories this week, the, the first story we, we mentioned and uh, released a game called uh, Cover Me in Leaves, which is a, a short uh, LGBT story. It's really beautiful. Just it, It's the same poetic style as this one. And it's, yeah, it's a, it's a beautiful, beautiful read. It's paired with um, um, these beautiful artwork and, and music and uh, absolutely worth uh, a playthrough. It is just $2, um, but it's also part of a, a oh. greater collection called the uh, 10MG collection, the 10 milligram collection. Uh, you can buy it on Itch, where they get a slightly bigger slice of um, of uh, the pie. There's a little bit less royalties. Or on Steam. Uh, if you buy it on Itch, you also can get a Steam key. So that's a slightly better place. But if you just want to do it real quick and easy, you can get it on Steam. Um, either the whole collection. It's a basically a bunch of 10-minute video games. Um, a whole collection of them and um, or, or 10 of them 10 10 minute video games and uh, some of them are, are, are quite good and one of them that's quite good is uh, cover me in leaves so um, I highly recommend it nice. uh, please please go do that it's absolutely worth it it's just two dollars it's a 10 minute little thing but it it will um, it'll make you feel things I think so uh, and I, I really really enjoyed it so yeah check it out nice I will I will definitely have to go and check mm -hmm. that out um yeah so uh, and, and she's just, she's a wonderful person too. She's, she's great. Mm -hmm. If you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to do the right thing, you can do that by going to slash r slash do the right thing on Reddit. All you, all, all you have to do is sit down for 30 minutes, use three of four words from that week and write a complete short story. Uh, that's right. And if you can't do that challenge, we'll elaborate again on, on the challenge at the, at the very end here. Um, it, to find out the words as soon as possible, the best way to do that would be to follow us on Twitter, which is at RightThingCast. You can also check out the subreddit whenever you can. And if you were on the Discord, you also would get uh, a notification that every, whenever I post it, because I always post it there first, um, in addition to the Twitter. Um, and of course, if you just want to say hi, or you have a question for us, or anything at all, you can send us an email at RightThingCast at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want to support Do the Right Thing and everyone else in, in the Doof Media, you can do that by donating to the Doof Media Patreon. All, all you have to do is donate a dollar or more per month and, and you will get access to the Doof Media Discord, where we talk about all things podcast. That's right. Um, additionally, um, it, for at the $5 level, you get to have access to our um, Doof and Chills, which are really fun sessions where uh, a lot of us Doofcasters, we, we come together and we do an activity together. And I'm very excited for this month's. Uh, so going on uh, next weekend, so it is, I think, uh, the 24th, right? Is that correct? Mm-hmm. That sounds about right. <clears throat> 
Yes, so uh, Saturday the 24th uh, uh, at 9.30 p.m., we or that's Central Standard Time, we will uh, be gathering to share some spooky stories because it's spooky month. I don't know if you all knew. It's spooky month. It's hard to tell because we're all in, inside, but we're all going to be gathering and we're going to share some spooky stories. I think Matt is the only one. No, not Matt. Matt is showing up. He's uh, he's writing his own story, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I believe it's Elliot and Ruben that aren't are going to be here uh, this 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 and show, but uh, Jarvis should be there, Clan should be there, uh, Matt and Scott and and I as well. Um, we'll all be sharing some spooky stories, and I'm very excited to to share some. And very I already so. have mine picked out. I don't know if you have yours picked out. Uh, I do not. I'm still going through um, so many short stories, just trying to figure out which one rattles my own bones because I don't really get scared that often so it's hard mm-hmm. to really find that I'm just going to um, make I'm, I'm trying to make everyone feel uncomfortable that's my goal mm, it's what I need is it going to be about teeth hmm? it might dearie <laughs> mm, interessante <laughs> anyway <laughs> um, yeah so that's that's uh, what we've got actually so just let's let's roll on into our outro right away um, of speaking course, of, so. of horror stories what are we reading next week, Jarvis? Next week, we are going to be reading a horror story in honor of Spooky Month. <laughs> so the horror story we are going to be reading next week is Dagon by H.P. Lovecraft. That's right. Uh, if if you are a fan of Lovecraft, you've probably either read this or, or, her, or heard of it. But I think this story does a fantastic job at really setting the groundwork for uh, the style of horror that we come to to expect from Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, how racist is it? It's not racist at all. I made wow. sure of this. Wow! Thank you. Mm-hmm. That's that's yes. really that's great work. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very hard to to find something oh yeah made from lovecraft that is not it's not racist. racist yeah yeah that's a that's an issue with our mm-hmm. boy HP. but you know we all forget about it right <laughs> it's fine anyway anyway um yeah so the the week after next the challenge is gonna be horror so uh go ahead and get prepped for that mentally get ready to write a horror story but we'll, we'll talk more about that next week after we read a story um, remember the, the challenge for this week, um, and keep that in mind as we announce the words in, in just a, a second, is to use traumatic irony. Um, but okay, what are the words this week, Jarvis? So the words for next week are stink, folklore, policy, and legislature. So uh, that's sting as in to sting someone, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, uh, or, so, the <laughs> or the artist. Or the artist. Um, but to, like a bee sting, right? Mm-hmm. Or a stinger. Um, th- this could be, you know, a sort of metaphorical thing. You know, words can sting. Mm-hmm. Um, the the a, a, like a burn can sting. Uh, a lot of things can sting. It's that kind of sort of pain. Yeah. Um, a uh, folklore, which I think that's a fun word. I like that. I like something built around folklore. That is yeah. the uh, oral tradition, usually, um, or usually some uh, myths um, that are more local. And uh, it might be shorter, might be uh, a lot uh, fictional, but they have a lot of like, uh, you know, old sayings and things behind them. And usually people don't believe them nowadays in our modern age. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. What's the next one? Policy. Policy, as in like a drug policy or a mm-hmm. no tolerance policy or any sort of a political um, policy, sort of sort of a law that's not necessarily as serious as a law, any sort of policy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if there's any other sort of implications of that, but yeah. Yeah. And then 
and then legislature. Legislature, which I guess goes with policy. So mm -hmm. a legislature it is a uh, law writing um, organization, branch of government generally. Um, usually with a lot of representations, the United States has a bicameral legislature. So that's two houses that each do different things. But plenty of other places have, have different sort of things. I think parliament is a legislature. I'm not entirely sure, actually. I think so. I don't know other governments uh, but the part that writes the laws that's generally the legislature as i understand it mm -hmm. so matthias what story are you going to write next week so uh i am writing a um let, let, let's let's do this real quick i'm writing a story about a legislature that writes policies exclusively on folklore all of the laws come from folklore and it, so instead of using like references to a constitution or, you know, a writing of, of founding fathers or anything like that, every single thing is just cited in folklore, um, some of which are fictional and some of which are, um, I mean, they're all fictional in universe, but some of them like didn't exist before they like a ref like, but anyway, they have like rules based around like Red Riding Hood, for example, mm. and other important mythological things. Um, and, uh, the unfortunate part is, um, that that's not how you get good rights. Um, and, mm. uh, they do some bad things. Like they did a law based around, it's, it's based around the sting of the thorn that the lion stepped on, you know, the one where the mouse had to help. Yes. And, <laughs> um, in that one, it makes it so if you are oppressed, you have to help your oppressor. Mm, damn and that's that the law sucks. that's the policy that they follow mm, that's kind of how it is right now that's true i read a I, there was a thread today i i saw that was talking about how the horrible slavery was which i mean like you, you everyone knows that yeah but sometimes but no you forget about how it about was it. a genocide and then like for some reason the education system has made it a natural thought for me to think, oh, yeah, it makes sense for the slave owners to have been compensated for the slaves that, that they lost because it's like a financial loss to them. And then you think for a second yeah. and then you're like, wait, <laughs> no, that's super fucked up. Yeah, that's extremely they were fucked humans. up. What the fuck? They shouldn't have been allowed to do that in the first place. No, don't compensate them. What are you doing? <laughs> what? Stop it. Mm, yeah. Our system of off education them. has a fantastic job at like sweeping every atrocity just right under the rug yeah. we don't talk about well, it. there's it's also fine. just a general thing of like like the winners deserve their winnings and if you take their winnings away from them then they have to be compensated it's the same thing with like billionaires versus mm -hmm. like poor people where it's like no of course they should get a subsidy of course of course they should well, they make millions take right all their, their their billions away but if you know you take someone's house away or something like that no that's totally fair or whatever i know this is not like a great comparison that i, I well, could no, come up with a better example a if it wasn't comparison. on the spot but it, there there was one there's at least one that would be basically bulletproof to um a lot of protests anyway fucked up <laughs> very very and speaking of fucked up uh my story for next week is going to be about um the very popular artist Sting, right? And if you know as much about him as I do, you know that he is deeply into tantric sex. There were <laughs> myths, folklore even, 
of him having sex for weeks upon months, constantly fucking. And uh, he even uh, wrote a whole book about how you too can have sex like Sting. But you see, the issue is that the book was so graphic. It was so vulgar that uh, every 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 congressman was at arms and pushing to write proper legislature to make books of of that such obsolete. But they couldn't push it through, and Sting sold over millions upon billions of copies of that book before local policy in the state of Oklahoma, where Sting does live outlawed all sort of smut being written smut being written and mass pro produced and to this day sting is still having sex but he's a he's a little bit more poor than he was previously wow the moral of the story is don't write books just just keep just keep doing the right thing that's the right thing to do yeah don't write, just write. And that's why Sting has been executed by the government of Oklahoma City. <laughs>